Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Welcome to for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits that you can employ in your daily life to make you happier. Here on Habits for Happiness today to talk about the habits that make up lifelong success is serial entrepreneur and change maker, Jimmy Reese. I should also mention that I have the great honor of Jimmy also being my father. Welcome to Jimmy, dad. Thank you, lady. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, let me introduce you because you have an amazing, amazing um, uh sort of history and biography and That's you're life. That's because you're prejudiced. I am prejudiced, but I am, I'm also very truthful. So, you know, dad, it was born in 1937 in New Orleans, where we are here today and graduated from university, which is right behind us. And he worked in his great grandfather's family business, which he'll talk about today after graduating from school in 1960. Um, shortly thereafter, he left to start his own business, um, specializing in fire prevention and safety systems and equipment for the offshore oil industry, and took that company public in 1982, which is amazing. And a host of other things became um, became owning a portfolio of other businesses that had similar characteristics to his primary business later in life. And in his most recent years, he's devoted um, a material time to pro bono. He was head of the RTA with the Regional Transit Authority here in New Orleans. He is the vice chair of the board of, the, of Tulane, or at least was, oh, wow. and is a board member of NOMA, the New Orleans Museum of Art, and the Newcomb College Art. And art a big part in his life. We'll talk about that. And also the National World War II here in New Orleans, which for Ben, you should it's amazing. And he also happens to be my father as well as my two brothers, our father as well, and is married and lives here in New Orleans. So, is there anything I didn't get? Uh, no, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, today, you know, I'm so excited to talk to you about um, habits that have made up your life. And when I talk to you about the show and being on the show, and uh, for those of you who are listening who may not know, I ask all of my guests to choose a habit that um, has helped them in their success. And, you know, Dad Jimmy said that he wanted to talk about a collection of habits that have led to his success. And so, you know, I wanted to just talk about why did you choose a collection? Why didn't you choose one thing? Tell me more. Well, I, I, but in answer to your question, I don't, I, I couldn't find in my thought process a single habit uh, that one that I would have. Uh, I understand that other people might have have a singular habit that drives them through their life, both family life and and business or professional life, but. For me, it's a, it's a succession of habits. And uh, the one focus that I have that, that is first and foremost in my mind virtually every day are the three, the three most important things in your life are, number one, your health, because if you're not healthy, you're no good to yourself or your family or anybody else. And number two, your family. If your family is not there, with you, if you don't have a cohesive family unit, then you have all sorts of issues to deal with that take away from your ability to do whatever else you want to do with your life. And number three, it's everything else that comes after your health and your family. So stay healthy, work at staying healthy, both physically and mentally. Be close to your family because that's where, you, where you're grounded and where, where love comes from. And then everything else after that should just be whatever it is you want to do with your life. Yeah. So for those of you that know Jimmy personally, as I've had the great joy of doing, which I won't date myself, but 40 plus years, uh, dad is 85 years old. Now, if you're watching this on video, you may wonder what in the heck he doesn't look 85 and he is so the 85 year old I know. So <laughs> I wanted to start there, you know, for anyone that's interested in you know, how you have such a healthy and vibrant um, soul and life and body at age 85. Tell us more. What are the habits that have 
you know, contributed to your anti-aging? Well, <laughs> well, first of all, I think I think that, that a lot of it is genetic, and uh, so you, if you start with that, I mean, if you if you're born with some sort of physical problem, it says. Whether they show up when you're young or later on in your life, I mean, it just it's just the way things happen. Fortunately, so far, uh, my genes have been working pretty good. Yeah, but you do things that, uh, but, that help your genes. Yeah, but secondly, secondly, uh, I, I firmly believe that if you don't keep this machine in, in good shape, then you're really no good to yourself, much less to your family or the people that depend on you for your support or your, your cooperation to achieve whatever it is you or the group wants to achieve. So uh, I work out uh, on a regular basis. We fortunately have enough room in this house where we have a gym at home. Uh, I have a trainer that comes uh, two days a week uh, for a full round of, of fitness exercise. And then uh, both Pixie, uh, my wonderful wife, and I work out another three days on our own. Uh, individually. Uh, He's 85 people and he works out every single day. So even if you don't have a gym at home or a trainer, what are some other things people can do to, to stay active? Walk, uh, go for, go for a walk, even Mm -hmm. if it's around the block in your neighborhood. Uh, uh, If you have a chance to jump in a pool, some, sometime swim, Uh, run. If you can, I can't, I used to run. uh, I remember that. (laughs) I mean, I was, I was a daily runner seven days a week up until about, 15 years ago. And then the body said, uh, I don't think you want to do this anymore. But walking, but, you can do it. Any age. Walking, you can do an age. Walking is, is, is great. It gets you out of the house. It gets you outside in the open. Even if you're living in the city, like New York or Chicago, you know, a, a, a good walk in the air when it's, even if it's freezing cold or boiling hot is just, it, it just gets you into a different environment physically as well as, as mentally. Totally. And, uh, it lets you it lets your mind see you know you're surrounded by things that you're not surrounded with uh, when you're in an office or when you're at home. Correct. Uh, it's just it, it it opens your it opens your mind and your life to, to, to something different. It's good for you. Well, tell us about eating because you you know you're 85 and yes you move, but tell us about how eating has your habits of eat around eating have the fact that you look so good. Well. <laughs> He does, people, you're if you're that, listening. You're, you're saying that because you, you, you're prejudiced because you're my daughter. And I love you. No, that's I, not true. And I love you. I mean, how many other 85-year-olds look like this for those? Um, uh, not many. Well, um, you have to eat healthily. You know, you, you avoid, you avoid uh, a lot of carbos. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I love ice cream, but I just, I still eat ice cream, you know, like one scoop. And it uh, have to have discipline about it. So uh, normally, let me just tell you what I eat. If it's that, yeah, if tell it's us okay. what you so, eat. So yeah, for breakfast, I have a bowl of fresh fruit uh, with some goat yogurt on top of it, and and one or two uh, scrambled eggs and some iced coffee. For lunch, if I have lunch, it'll be uh, four or five slices of, of, of a turkey breast. And uh, either iced tea or Coca Cola. Love that. Uh, and for dinner, it's usually uh, grilled fish, salmon, uh, red fish, uh, and a tossed green salad, and uh, a glass of white wine. And so, yes, this maybe, is, we should monetize this. This then, is the Jimmy then, Reese then, diet. Then, then, <laughs> I, then, then I'll sneak that scoop of ice cream in at the end. Yeah, it's all about 80%, right? All you right. can have the 20% so, of the cocoa. And, and occasionally we sneak in something else, you know, but <laughs> but not every night. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a daily diet. You know, we'll have a steak once a couple of weeks uh, or uh, something. But it's mainly, it's mainly fish, salads, uh, you know, sliced turkey breasts and, and uh it's a very lean diet that and coupled with exercise. And I think I feel, I feel great. Yeah. You know, and still goes to work every day. Yep. Yes. So yeah. let's talk about work. Let's shift gears a little bit. So last night when we were prepping for the interview, 
I talked to dad about the habit of persistence. And uh, for those that know me, I can be quite steelheaded and I've definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I can vouch for that. A nice way of saying I'm entirely overly stubborn, but I, but it has helped me in my life get things done. So it's also been a detriment in other areas, of course, but, you know, I (laughs) asked dad where he got this habit of persistence, which I've so lovingly inherited for better or for worse. And he talk, started to discuss working in uh, with his father and his family life with his father. So can you share with the listeners a little bit about yeah. that? Because I thought that was yeah. hugely um, part, a big part of your story and also a starting point, right? So a lot of people may not know that are listening that we inherit a lot of our habits and our behaviors from our parents, even gene, from their genealogy. Like it doesn't just you know, it may be that his father acted a certain way and he adopted that and then you adopted that. So tell us more. Well, my father uh, ran a business that was a sole proprietorship. That, that is, it was his business. He owned it and he ran it. And it was a business that he inherited from his father and his from his grandfather. Original James Reese uh, came here from Strasbourg, into, came here meaning New Orleans, from Strasbourg in Alsace in either France or Germany, depends on who owned the, prop, the, the, the territory at that time in the late 1850s and uh, came here to New Orleans and established this business that ultimately became a candy confectionery wholesale distributorship and uh, 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 distribution business. And uh, his son, one of his sons, uh, my grandfather, Edward Reese, uh, inherited the business and took over the business from his father, the original James Reese. And then my father took it over from his father, Edward. And then when I was getting ready to graduate from college, uh, I went went to work. After I did, I went to work for my father. Uh, I'll digress here because I think this is an important part of the story. Uh, my father wanted me to wanted me to go to medical school, and uh, when I was a senior in high school. Uh, he had me te- tested uh, by a psychological tester who said I was fit to go to medical school. So I enrolled in pre-med at Tulane University uh, here in New Orleans. And um, my interest in, in going to Tulane was in studying, of course, but I was more interested in partying and running after girls than I was anything else. <laughs> and uh, I was a men- member of a fraternity called Delta Cap Epsilon or DEEK. Uh, as it's known uh, nationally. And uh, the Deeks were known here as as party animals. And I was probably, if not the king of the party animals, certainly a vice king or somewhere up in the top. And anyway, uh, I, in my third year pre-med, I flunked out of chemistry uh, and uh, decided I didn't want to go into the military. So uh, we had draft people were being drafted at that time. So I figured if I stayed in college, I could avoid uh, being drafted. So I got myself and I taught myself into the business school here at Tulane and graduated with a degree in business. Uh, I went to work for my father for a couple of years. And at the time I was living in the French Quarter. Uh, for those of you who don't know anything about New Orleans, uh, you should know that the French Quarter is the oldest part of our community. And it's one community that at the time, 1960s, was a bohemian uh, neighborhood uh, full of arts and musicians and people wandering around trying to find themselves, of which I was one. And uh, I spent a lot of time uh, uh, with artists and musicians and in bar rooms and not working for my father until finally that that uh, job fell apart. And uh, I found... Uh, a relationship with a friend of mine uh, who, with whom I used to hunt and fish. And uh, he was working for uh, a company here that sold uh, fire extinguishing and alarm systems to the offshore oil industry. And he didn't like working for this company anymore. And he wanted to go into business for himself and asked me one day over a drink, you know, you want to go into business? And I said, sure, why not? I got nothing else to do. So, uh, uh, he called some manufacturers that, uh, that whose equipment he was selling for this company he was working for. And they said, well, if you can sell some of this stuff, we'll pay you a commission. So we got some brochures and had some business cards printed up. And uh, 
uh, you got a folding table and two chairs and a spot in a basement of an apartment that was being rented by a friend of ours. And that was the beginning of our business. Uh, two guys, a folding table and two chairs uh, in somebody's basement uh, knocking on doors in the oil and gas industry in New Orleans. And behold, somebody actually bought something from us after the first month or two. Well, they definitely and, did. And, you took and, the company public and, 20 years later. And, right? there, and there we go. So, um, you know, uh, it's uh, it, a lot of it was good luck. A lot of it was it was uh, having the guts, the uh, the lack of brains, if you might call it that, <laughs> to, to, to actually go out and do something like that. But but my feeling at the time was, you know, what, what have we got to lose? And uh, that's the way my friend felt as well. So uh, we had nothing to lose and gave it a, a good shot, and things worked out. Yeah. Uh, well, tell us about the lessons that your father might have taught you about persistence that led to you have the gumption to start your own business and, you know, 20 years later, take it public. Well, my, let me talk about that for a second with my, my father. My father, uh, God bless him, had a very strong work ethic. And uh, he believed, at least I believe that he believed that, that unless he paid attention to his business and uh worked very hard at it that it, that if the business didn't succeed or if it had a, a shallow moment or a fallow moment uh, uh, it would it may be hard for him to remember uh, he took over from his his father in the 1920s and then uh, kept this business alive through the Great Depression mm-hmm. uh, and of course I was born in 1937 so the depression was still on, but I was when the depression basically ended with the beginning of world years old. So, you know, do I remember anything? Not, but uh, uh, he had some hard times, and I think I think the depression for him taught him a lesson that if you if you want to save your business, you don't do anything else. You just work, mm-hmm. and there isn't time for fooling around with anything else except work. So uh, I learned from my father that what comes out of hard work, success. And if, if you're smart and you work hard at it and you, you're open to innovation in your business as time goes by and the, the economic circumstances change, which my father certainly was, then uh, you'll be successful. Uh, you should be. Or you have a better shot at being successful than right. if you just sort of sit back and watch the world pass you by. So it it was hard work. The, the the one thing that I missed that my father didn't do was was because he worked so hard was to talk to to talk to us to mm-hmm. talk to his children. I had three sisters, uh, two older and one younger, and I actually was born uh, a twin. And I had a twin sister who passed away at uh, age one and a half from an, uh, a, a child, childhood cancer. cancer. Uh, and uh, so I, I was the, the, the golden child son of the family, mm-hmm. if you will. My mother spoiled me to death. Uh, but my father and I, we didn't have, uh, and I'm sorry about this, we didn't have a, a close working or uh, uh, familiar relationship. He just worked all the time. And it was hard for him to sit down with me and say, listen, kid, you know, you better straighten yourself out mm-hmm. or something. So I just kind of found out about this on my own. So this is a long way of saying that uh, when I went to work for my father after after Tulane University, uh, I was I was undisciplined. And I had to find my way out of that undisciplined uh position that I was in by chasing girls and staying out drinking all night. Which <laughs> and was, what was the bar name? Which was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, our favorite bar in the French Quarter was a place called La Casa de los Marinos. <laughs> and uh, it's actually it was three bars. Uh, the first bar was open. When it got filled up, they opened the second bar, which is right behind it. And then that, when that bar got filled up, they opened the third bar right behind it. And uh, it was a bar that was originally uh, uh, the customer base there was 
was uh, Latin American uh, uh, people who worked in the maritime and shipping industry, uh, originally bringing bananas and other produce from Central and South America to, New Orleans, to the port of New Orleans. So it was a seamen's bar, you know, were there fights in the bar? Yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> Every, every every night, the 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 uh, the the jukebox had, you know, marimba type, uh, pachango type uh, Latin music on. It was a, it was great fun. I don't mind telling you. Uh, I remember one fateful morning when I uh, I looked at my watch and it was time to go to work, and I was sitting at the bar at Lagasa. <laughs> so, you never. So so. <laughs> I walked down the street. My family's father's business was about four blocks away from his bar room. So I walked down the street and went to work. And I was sitting at my desk, kind of slumped over. And I felt this tap on my shoulder. And I heard this voice, my father's voice in my ear say, son, son, go home and go to bed. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of indicative of the way things were with my father when I was working for him. Well, obviously, you changed things around because, again, this turned into a massive success story when you started your own business. And as we've talked about, you took it public uh, just 20 years later. Um, so tell us about sort of I know, you know, back to this idea of persistence and hard work. You had also talked about this idea of never giving up. And for listeners, can you tell us about this idea of never giving up and how it's benefited you, that behavior, that habit in your life? Well, I, I, I'm not so certain that that I was taught about never giving up. Uh, maybe it was something that I, that I inherited just by being around my my father, who obviously worked and never gave up on his business. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, and my mother, who was an accomplished artist, who didn't just give up on on art because she thought that she wasn't good enough. She always worked at perfecting her, her art and getting better all the time, which is, and of course she loved what she did and she was really good at it. Uh, and maybe I it just indirectly by being around both of them, I inherited some of those qualities, uh, but I didn't, if I did, I didn't realize it. And I, I actually didn't thought about it until you brought it up. But the thought about quitting and just saying, oh, I don't know, I can't do this, uh, whatever, is it, it just never it, it just never occurred to me that, you know, when you start something and, you know, it wasn't, I, I think if I worked for somebody else and I really, or in, in another business and I finally determined, you know, I, I don't like doing this and, it, and I ought to try something else. Uh, I, I, I don't think I would be averse to telling that person or that company or that enterprise, you know, I, I'm not fit out. I'm not cut out for this. I'm not fit for it. And I think I'm going to go do something else. But when you work for yourself and you started, you started yourself, the idea of quitting was it just never crossed my mind. You wouldn't quit. I'm quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, something doesn't work. And that's in you know, you sort of sit down for a second and say that didn't that didn't feel too good. What have I done wrong, and how do I how do I fix this and go about this in a different way? You know, if you if you're trying to sell something to someone and it's a complicated process, and they choose somebody else, and you want to have a a discussion with them afterwards, which we did with some of our customers, is what happened. You know, I, we've been doing business for a while, and you chose this other company. What did we did, did we did we make you angry? Did we do something wrong here? What is it? And usually the person that we were dealing with would say, sure, you know, we chose these other people because they were more experienced or that you should have done this. If you'd only done this, we could have chosen you over the other company. You, you learn from those, you learn yeah. from those kind of things. I mean, I often say in my coaching business, there is no failure, only feedback. Yeah. And so if we're willing to ask those questions yeah. of others, especially the people we're either selling to or working with yeah. or in relation with yeah. and get curious, we yeah. can get a lot of information that will yeah. be helpful to us yeah. sort of moving forward. Yeah. So maybe give us an example of when, how your hard work or your persistence or never giving up, you know, benefited you in your life. Well, when it, it, if I think back on what your opening comments in this session about, uh, well, you know, you start your business and then you take it public and then all that sort of stuff. 
anybody that tells you uh, that my business has just been one success every day after another <laughs> success, and it led to this wonderful blossoming at the certain point in my life, and things have been wonderful all along, that's all baloney. Anybody, <laughs> I, I, I agree. Anybody who, who tells you that it, it is dealing with a fantasy in their own mind or uh, they're not telling you the truth. Uh, everybody stumbles and falls at, at, mm -hmm. at some point in the process of going from A to B, wherever A, whatever A is and wherever, wherever B is. And you make mistakes. You know, people used to tell me, oh, you're the guy whose motto is ready, fire, aim. And uh, I also inherited this one for all the listeners out there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm not suggesting that, 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 that if, if every decision I made was ready, fire, aim, but a lot of them were. And if you do ready, fire, aim, and you wind up with the person who's basically shooting yourself in the foot, it doesn't feel too good. And you sort of sit back and say, well, uh, what did I do wrong there? And, and how do I not do this again? Uh, so um, I guess the answer to your question about myself is I didn't have a mentor who, who, who took me by the hand through life and said, now, son, uh, first you do this and second you do that and third you do something else. Uh, I learned that, that first you do this and Third, you do that. And then second, you, you, you do what you should have done the second, and that didn't work out right. So next time you do it, you do the first and then the second and the third, as opposed <laughs> to the first, the third, and then the second. So um, uh, this is a painful methodology because I've lived it, but it does work. It's painful. It, it works. It takes a little long if somebody was guiding, but I didn't have anybody guiding me. And, you know, that's, that's life. What can I tell you? Well, let me put, stop there. We have to go to a break, but I do want to put a pin in that and come back because this is an amazing topic of uh, fire, ready, aim. So listeners, hang tight. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes after the break. Thanks so much. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about her individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter for happiness.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow! Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now, back to our program, and here again is Lady Fuller. 
Hi, welcome back. Thanks for hanging in there. Lady Fuller here with my father, Jimmy Reese, that the serial entrepreneur and change maker and wonderful human being. And I am biased, but it, for those that know him, definitely agree. We stopped before the break talking about the idea of both mentorship and this, um, you know, one habit that dad may have said he had is compulsiveness or getting excited about an idea and acting on it sort of before he's thinking. And I'm actually over the break was looking over and he has a sign that says stop and think, what do you want to do? What do you do with it for the alternatives and what is the best way? So something curious about as you've you know, matured or aged, how has or how has that habit changed? And um, and for people that can be sort of compulsive, what are some you know maybe advice that you have them? Well, them? I put that the sign that you just read. I put that on my bulletin board here in in this office, home office uh, room, uh, to remind myself, even at age eighty four, soon to be eighty five, uh, that. I need to stop and think before I do something. And why do I need the sign? You would think that after. Dad, six, we, we all need a sign. 60, of some sort. <laughs> 60 years of, of, of doing this and, 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 and living by my old motto of ready, fire, aim, that I would think I would stop it. But uh, I have a compulsive, I guess, a compulsive streak. And when I want to do something, I want to do it. And uh, I think about it for a little while and I'm ready to go. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's not, because it's better than, than not going, thinking about it, and not going at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, life is a process and uh, whatever it is you're setting out to do is a process. You know, you know, I, in the last five years, four or five years, I've been going occasionally to a, an art school here in New Orleans. Uh, because I, th- I think I have some smidgen of artistic talent. He does. And uh, uh, I know that, that uh, yeah, I could stand in front of an easel or a, a drawing board and start scratching out something, but I know that it would be better if I had some training. So uh, the, the training is the, is, is the, the ready aim part before mm-hmm. you fire. And uh, so I attempt to discipline myself in, in that way. But back to, I think, what we're the main part of this conversation about business and what happened during my, that career is that I made a, a lot of decisions that weren't completely well thought out. And it what happens is an explosion goes off and you realize that, that didn't work too good. So maybe we don't want to do it that way anymore. Or maybe we don't want to do that at all. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what and, life is. And, it's a series the, of, you know, pain yeah. and pleasure and pain and pleasure. On, on the other <laughs> hand, anybody, I mean, it's my belief in, in my history that anybody, and I've, I've met people who have told me this, that, uh, you know, I've thought out everything in my life and it's been planned and it's worked out beautifully. And it just, there have been no mistakes. It's all, they're full of baloney. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously I coach people for a living and I, I definitely work with people who, who get stuck in this sort of analysis paralysis, right? Yeah, the overthinking yeah, trap. Yeah. And I always say to them, you know, excuse my language, but the SHIT that happens to us in life is really not the stuff we worry about. The stuff that really knocks us off center is usually the stuff we don't see coming. You better believe it. So, yes. so the worrying, the fear, usually we think the construct of our mind keeps us safe doesn't. Because we think if we worry hard enough on a subject or we plan hard enough on the subject, we can control the outcome. And to some degree, more information is helpful, but we never can really control the outcome. It sort of comes, you know, in fruition, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and there are many points in in decision-making process where you don't have enough facts or there aren't enough facts to be able to allow you to make a completely cogent, well thought out, successful decision. You you think about things and then you do it. And if it works, great. You do it some more and you refine it as you go along to do it again the next time and refine it some more to do it the next time. But during those iterations, there will be moments of, of ouch 
And you learn from those things. And that's, to me, that's life. So, yeah. so I guess my mantra was, I felt it was, I was better off and would be successful. I never thought about doing things because I wanted to be a success. I thought I, I did things because it's a, it was of interest to me. It was, it was, it was fun. It was, uh, it was intellectual. And uh, if it worked, I felt rewarded. If it didn't, I felt like I learned a lesson and uh, I would do it again, but in a different way. So um, uh, overthinking a situation just leads to delay and not making a decision at all, in my opinion. Yeah. And what would Um, you say to people, you know, a big thing that we talk about in coaching, and I do want to shift gears a bit to talk about creativity, but before we do that, that are stuck maybe in their comfort zone. And and as we know, fear loves the comfort zone and success in whatever way to define it for some people is staying there. But for many entrepreneurs, it's about getting out of their comfort zone um, saying no to fear and yes to themselves and, and having the magic happen out of that sort of safe sphere of safety. So what would you say to people that are trapped inside their comfort zone? Sit down and have a talk with yourself. Uh, take a drink of good whiskey <laughs> and get up and, and, and make a decision to do something different. Yeah. Even if it's a little thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, you're, you're 84 years young. But, you know, people think they have a lot of time, right? And we talked about this idea of time last night a little bit, and we were preparing for the interview, that time goes by quite quickly in life. When you get older, time goes by like a lightning flash. I mean, mm-hmm. I, to me, what is, what is today? It's April the 29th or whatever it is, mm-hmm. the 29th. Uh, I, 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 I think January was, was last week. So... Uh, it, it, it all, of course, time is relative. The older you get, the shorter the days are, and the you know the shorter the weeks and the years are. So, uh, uh, every moment is precious. Don't waste mm-hmm. any time. Do the things that 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 make you feel productive, happy. Take care of yourself and take care of your family. And so, let's switch a bit to creativity because you know I just read this amazing book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she talks about the the idea of a creative life, that all of us inside of us, no matter who we are, have an element of creativity. And obviously, you learn that, you know, in the bar rooms in the French Quarter, but also you had a mother who was an artist, and we have artists and other sort of echelons of our family. And how, just because you're creative doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it because you are looking to, you know, sell your art and put it in the in a famous museum. You, most people don't. Hardly, hardly. It, the idea of being creative for the sake of what it gives us in our souls is totally different. And the importance of that, no matter where we are in our lives, what our work is, where we are with our family, talk to us about the importance of creativity as a habit in your life and for others. Well, let me go about this in two different ways. Um, when I go to art class at the New Orleans Academy of Art here in the city, uh, the classes are a half a day. And they are three days, two days a week, sometimes three days a week. And I find that when I get into the class and we start, I lose all sense of time, all sense of anything else in life, whatever's going on at home or in business or anything else I might be interested in at the moment. I I don't think about anything else. I'm totally immersed in the studio and the work that's going on. And when I leave, I feel like, oh man, that was really good. This is called being in the flow people. And uh, it just, it was a soul, it's a soul fulfilling Mm. period is the best way I can describe it to you. It's like giving back to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It just, nothing else mattered except what we were doing in the studio. The, my last session uh, in, in the last semester was uh, life drawing. And um, we had, uh, you know, nude models. And, it, you know, these were, these were good looking women and they were totally <laughs> naked. So <laughs> what can I say? Uh, and I was the only guy, only man in this in, in the in the class. But uh, he still got into the flow. Well, you know, <laughs> what can I say? But uh, 
it, it, it that had no effect on anything. It, it, it could have been, you know, a, a piece of glass sculpture that I was, that we were drawing. It was, it's line and shape and uh, size relationships and all of those things that, that you, you're thinking about and trying to take that out of your brain and put it on a piece of paper. And it's, it's extraordinary. Uh, for me, it's an extraordinary sensation that, you know, I'd look at my watch and three hours had gone by and it, my God, you know, mm. look at the work, the work you're working, it's right there in front of you, all the mistakes as well as the good parts. And then you learn uh, this doesn't work, but this does. And I think I take, I can take that lesson out of the mm -hmm. studio and put it into what we do for a living and think about, you know, that doesn't work, but this does. So let's do less of what didn't, work. let's do more of what does work. And maybe things will be better in our lives at home and at work and whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. And uh, also an another lesson I'm learning is, is I'm getting older uh, is, and, and time begin begins to be more concentrated, is uh, the, the, if you look at the list of things you do, and sometimes I make a list about what I've done today mm -hmm. uh, in the last week, and I think, this is silly. Why don't I do A, D, and F? Because those things really didn't mean anything. They didn't accomplish anything. They just wasted time. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning to concentrate time on the things that give me more fulfillment. Yeah. You know, the Stoics, if you follow any Stoics, so these people that lived thousands of years ago, Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, and, you know, the list goes on. Yeah. They had a, a philosophy, right? Stoicism was a philosophy philosophical way of life, that they would actually live every day as their last. So they had these humongous lives because they were able to do all the things in each day that they would do if it was the last day of their life. And I think it's a beautiful way to live. And it's a beautiful way to think about your life, right? What would be all the things that would fill you up, right? Creative, creatively with love of others, otherwise who you'd talk to, who you'd say you're grateful for, and how that would narrate. Because as each day is just a sort of a microcosm of our ongoing lives. And I do think, you know, one of the things that I work with a lot of my, my clients is this idea of, you know, if your life was to never change and you were to go on the same way and never, you know, have anything change in your life and you reached a vibrant, very vibrant and healthy 90, what would you regret? And the interesting thing is that most of my clients say the number one thing is they, they do not want to die with regrets. So, you know, shaping our lives so that we don't have regret is something that I think is very important and something many of us don't think about until maybe it's too late. Well, I would hope I think it's a very good point. And I, and, and I would say that if, uh, uh, if I had thought about this 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago, I made a, I would hope that I would not have spent some time doing some of the things that weren't either A, productive or B, self-fulfilling, or A, self-fulfilling and B, productive, um, and spend more time doing other things. But then, you know, life's a learning process. So, it is. Um, it's a journey. It's a very it's, individualized it's a journey. journey. <laughs> and, 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 some, and, and recently, I've had thoughts about... Uh, I mean, I, I, I believe that that that... that this life isn't the end. And uh, I think we go into a, another place. Our souls go into another place. And I think we eventually come back in, in for, for another life. And I think we do this in uh, the transcend, what I call the transcendentalism of souls as, as, as you keep coming back into a life, you keep attempting to get yourself better and closer and closer to the being at which point, you know, five zillion years from now, you know, you don't have to come back here and do this anymore. If there is still still available for humans, but yes. Uh, yeah, well, uh, to some other planet. Or yes. But but um, uh, my point is I want to come back. And, and, and when I pass away, I don't want to be gone for too long because of all the things that I haven't accomplished in this life that I want to come back and spend more time doing. So if you weren't an entrepreneur and you could have chosen any other profession, what would it have been? Well, I think, I, I think I'd like to go back and be, and be a doctor like my father wanted me to be. Mm, interesting. A brain surgeon. 
a brain surgeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, totally, I'm totally joking about it. No, I think, I, I think I'd better go doctor. Okay. Well, so let's pivot a little and talk about your mother's dad's mom was named Peak Reese, and she designed many of the Mardi Gras floats um, in the 1960s for, for the Carnival, Rex Carnival. And um, was very influential, was actually featured in the opening of the Newcomb Art Museum. Uh, Museum when it opened a couple of years ago. And her art is prolific, and it's been, at least in the house in which we're sitting, it's all over the walls. Um, and she was a beautiful soul in the short time that I knew her. But let tell, tell us how art her her influence on you shaped sort of your creativity because it's pretty rare that someone who's had the sort of success that you've had in business also has this sort of other life um with yeah. art and i think there's a balance there which makes you a unique person well uh in the house we live in my the, my mother's studio was in in the room next to my bedroom so uh when i would wake up in the morning or when i'd come in in the afternoon or when i was studying or whatever you know my mother was in the studio painting and, you know, her art was all over everywhere. I mean, the, she, you know, her drawing boards were set up and with, with drawings on them or, and sketches were being on the walls. Uh, 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 my mother, uh, uh, well, for your audience, let me say this. At Mardi Gras every year, there are a series of, of, of carnival organizations that, that for about two weeks before Mardi Gras Day, which is the day before Ash Wednesday, uh, put on a, a, a parade in the streets of New Orleans for the, for the public. And the, the vehicles that are in the parades are what we call floats and they're, they're custom designed every year to a different theme uh, so that the parade might be 20 floats long or 30 floats long and the members ride on these floats in costume. Uh, on Mardi Gras day itself, the culmination of this carnival season, there is a parade, uh, the organization is called Rex. And uh, it's it's the big, big deal. And for about 20 years from the 1950s until the early 19, mid-1970s, my mother was the designer of the Rex Parade. She designed the theme. Uh, she physically designed uh, the floats, uh, the costumes, and uh, oversaw the, the production of, those, of, the, of the floats and the costumes for the parade every year. So it's a big, it was a big deal. A uh, big deal for the city and, and certainly a big deal for my mom. Uh, but uh, I think it was because of her. I think there's some genetic aspect of this. Uh, my oldest sister, Louise, was a ceramist. When she graduated from Newcomb Art School. My mother graduated from Newcomb Art School. My sister, Louise, graduated from Art School. My next oldest sister, Mary Alice, graduated from Newcomb Art School. She was a wonderful painter. Louise was, was a ceramist. So, you know, I think this is, I think, I think it's genetic and also think it's environment, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, just, what does creativity mean to you? Creativity means, means something that comes out of control. Mm. It's not, uh, you can think about it, but, but there's something, when I'm in art class, there's something about what happens there it's not just putting a pen or, or a brush on a piece of paper. There's something that, that it's, and, it, and it's not just about interpreting a line or a shape and transporting it to, to a, a flat medium. There's something about uh, uh, the esoteric, the beauty of the beauty of it. Mm. That, 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 I'm not quite sure how to explain it to you, but there's a, there's something that I see that that we all see things differently from from each other. There's something that I see that I think can be translated into another form, either mentally or physically. So for those listeners who may be thinking, well, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Yes, you do. <laughs> I, tell us about the importance of creativity. Even let's say you know, you're a postal worker and you know, you work, you know, a lot of time. And other than that, you're relaxing. And this is an example, but what what's the importance of having a balance with creativity in your life, right? What's the balance there and what's the importance of having that balance? Well, I think and I, and I can certainly speak for myself in business. I think that, that uh, in, particularly if you, in my position of being an entrepreneur, 
you have to create ways to, to make your business successful. When you start, you're thinking of uh, how, what's the, what, how do I create something that my customer or customers want? If, how, can I, how can I help my customer solve a problem that he has or she has? Uh, and if you take that approach to it, then that's a creative approach. It's not just, okay, uh, I'm a paper, you know, I sell paper for a living and either you want the paper or you don't, or you, I can give you a size A or size B. That's not, that's not the process. The process is the customer wants paper for, for some reason. You, you, you want to print on it. You want to paint on it. You want to paper your wall with it. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. So when you realize that aspect of what the transaction is between you and another person, whether it's selling something or listening to somebody else's desire or whatever it is, then that's the creative aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, every transaction between between two people has a creative is a creative. Mm, I love that. Uh, In the and connection, it, yeah, and it's not just what you want. To, to, for me to give you and what I want to give you, mm-hmm. there's a reason we are having a dialogue about giving each other something or receiving something from the other person. And if you can figure out, it doesn't mean that every time you have a reaction with somebody, you have to think about what is she, what does she want and how do I <laughs> and how do I how do I how do I meet, you could how do I make that well you drive yourself you crazy. would also not be listening yeah you wouldn't be listening exactly. But, you know, life's a creative process. Life is a creative process. Mm. So if you most of the time look at things that way, in my opinion, then you can figure out most of the time you can figure out uh, what's the best way to interact with another person or with yourself for that matter. So would you say that you believe that life is uh, our ability to create our own life is possible? Absolutely. 110%. One hundred ten percent. Doesn't mean that you don't have to go work for a living, uh, and that, that things can be hard, and that you you know spend most of your time working and and less of your time being able to be creative and thinking about yourself. But those little moments, even if they're small mm. moments, are very 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 precious for yourself. Mm. And I would venture to say that anybody, any human being who works, every now and then has a moment of it could be one minute a day, or one minute a week, has some moment of creative thought. Mm, I love that. We're going to end there. You heard it from Jimmy Reed. We all have the ability to create the life of our, if we just this and stuff and end that creativity in the small things. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for being with me. Remember the paved to ha- the path to happiness is paved with healthy habits and we can continue the conversation if you'd like on Facebook at Habits for Happiness and please join us next week for another powerful conversation on a habit that can change your life. Thank you everyone. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.